0: I have come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass,
1: and I'm all out of bubble Red alert! All hands stand to battle stations. Luck as files in attack positions. Prepare for battle. Autobots, roll out.
2: Get ready! It's your weekly dose of nerd culture.
0: All wings reporting.
2: With your crew so lock and load bag and board and roll for initiative we've got
1: your nerd alert hello
2: there it's Obi John Kenobi your favorite host in all the podcast and welcome to the final show of nerd alert for 2020 <laughs> um ah uh, yeah no, but in, in fact is... by the time this airs it'll probably be yeah. 2021 already um yeah. But at the time of this recording, it's still 2020, so thank God it's almost done. And if you're listening to this in the future of 2021, that will then be the past, because yeah, we're lazy, no post-off on time. Welcome to Nerd Alert. Uh, Joining me this week, as always, my stalwart right-hand man, the one who keeps the nerd in the talk nerdy-to-me network, the one who can walk on both shows commander scott
1: greetings something hit my radar this week that i wanted to share
2: was it the bleeps the sweeps or the creeps
1: it was not the <laughs> bleeps the sweeps the creeps however was it raspberry jam they they do deserve an honorable mention as <laughs> only does, one man <laughs> uses raspberry <laughs> as does the raspberry jam um no um <clears throat> uh the thing i uh, forget uh how it came into my my wheelhouse but uh it's a science experiment uh, that is currently ongoing um, called the Pitch Drop Experiment. I don't know if either of you have heard of it. Jay, you might have.
2: Does it go horribly awry and create a supervillain? It, it, not yet. Then I had not heard of it, no.
1: Okay. So uh, there was a, uh, uh, a professor at uh, University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia, Professor Thomas Parnell, who wanted to demonstrate to his students. And this is something that we brought up before that, uh, uh, sometimes something can appear to be a solid, but it's actually a liquid with a very, very high viscosity. So he boiled up a batch of pitch, which if you don't know, is is almost a, a tar like substance. I honestly don't know exactly what, uh, um, separates the two, or even if they are separated. Uh, and, uh, He poured it into a sealed glass funnel, and he allowed it to settle for three years. He did this in 1927, and in 1930, he cut the seal at the neck of the funnel, allowing the pitch to start flowing. Um, Since that day, in 1930, nine drops have formed and dropped off. (laughs) <laughs> Only nine. Uh, nine that,
2: rings get into yes. the Sorry, <laughs> nine uh, drops to rule them. A, a,
1: after the eighth drop fell in November of 2000, uh, allowed they had enough data for experimenters to calculate the pitches having a viscosity of approximately 2.3 times 10 to the 11 times that of water. And it is currently currently in the Guinness Book of World Records as the longest continuing running laboratory experiment. There is a webcam. If you search for Pitch Drop Experiment, there is a webcam set up on it so you can watch it do absolutely nothing for as long as you wish. Um, We're currently on the 10th drop. They're calculating it will probably drop sometime in the next, I think, two to three years. Uh and uh scientists uh the, the people who are in charge of the experiment estimate there is enough pitch left for the experiment to continue for running for at least another century.
2: Jeez. Isn't there a webcam set up on the world's oldest light bulb that's been going for like a hundred years?
1: Yes, the world's uh I, last time I checked, I haven't looked in, in a couple of years. But yes, the last time I checked, it was the the world's longest burning light bulb. Uh, It's one of the few still in existence and still working that was made uh, by uh, Edison. And uh, uh, the reason it's continuing to burn, first of all, it's never turned off. Uh, And it's got a filament in it that is such a heavy gauge. uh, it, It... it, it, it should never burn out provided the voltage remains constant they've got backup generators on it now and everything and I think it's in a firehouse somewhere I'd have to look
2: at that. I think so too so, uh, the filament is actually fun fact vibranium so uh,
1: uh. yeah <laughs> which is totally real we're <clears throat> uh, uh uh smuggle that out of Wakanda it's a whole whole story uh, unobtainium. Yes. <laughs> oh, God, fucking unobtainium. Speaking of Wakanda, sorry. Oh boy. Sorry. We're already
2: derailed. We're not even. Oh, the I know. Derailed
1: me. <laughs> you derailed me. <laughs> you derailed me. A, t- a TikTok video popped up in my feed. It's a. It's a teacher that basically does videos of stuff said in my classroom, and she acts out. You know the part of herself as the teacher and the student or parent or whoever. She dramatizes the conversation for you, and it's quite funny. And one of them was uh, uh, I, I guess her class was covering the Atlantic slave trade. Uh, and uh, she said, so that uh, that concludes our unit on, you know, the Atlantic slave trade. Does anybody have any questions? And her student raised her hand and said, I don't understand. If this was such a travesty, why didn't Wakanda step in? <laughs> <laughs> nice.
2: <laughs> so, you know, as a teacher, I'm 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 torn. Do I correct my student? That Wakanda is a fictional country, or do I just go with it and let them figure out their own stupidity later, and just point out that well, at that point in time, Wakanda was still isolationist and did not get involved in the affairs of other countries, much like Japan for two hundred years, just isolation by itself.
1: Well, she tries. She's like, <laughs> she's like Wakanda. You mean, like in the Black Panther, the the movie? <laughs> It's a movie. And she goes, oh, T'Challa wouldn't have been born. That was like a century or so ago. Yeah, okay, that's cool. <laughs> Jeez. Oh. Sorry, but yeah. yeah.
2: All right. Uh, now that we have no hope left in our future, uh, here's to tell, here to tell us how bad the future can get, uh, joining us from somewhere in time and space via time traveling to Loring, it's the Doc.
0: Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya, you killed my father, prepare to die.
2: But we don't have six fingers on our left hand. So, By chance, do you happen to have six fingers on your left hand? <laughs> uh, and the three of us, our powers combined, we are Nerd Alert, and welcome to an all new edition. If you're a a listener, you know we just finished, we just wrapped up uh, Star Wars Month, where we spent the entire month of December talking about Star Wars and all the various things about it we love. So we thought we'd do things totally different, just totally switch gears, go a completely different route. Uh, So all January, we're bringing you Fantasy Month, something (laughs) completely different. Okay.
1: Okay. The plane boss, the plane.
2: Yeah, who needs the force when you have magic? See, totally different. Totally different. No Nothing. aliens, just just monsters from mythology. Totally different.
1: No light swords, no laser swords, just swords. Some mm-hmm. of them glow. Distributed randomly
2: by women in bodies of water. To yeah. Determine the rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: You see the violence
2: inherent in the system? <laughs> help, help me. Help me yes. repressed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh so to kick things off, um Commander Scott and I were talking about this, and I, I really feel like the fantasy genre really has two big phases, and I didn't feel right trying to lump everything together. So we're gonna split them up. Today we're specifically going to talk about our favorite fantasy movies pre Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um I am Going out on a limb and saying there'll be a lot of shit from the 80s talked about. Because uh, the 80s was a friggin' golden age of sword and sorcery movies. I, I don't think a year went by where one, and, and a lot of them were great. A lot of them are now considered, you know, classic. Uh, or if, you know, you're that kid in that class, it's classic cinema. Right? If there was Citizen Kane and, you know, them olden movies that are in black and white, and you have to read the bottom of them. Uh, where people don't talk. Uh, sorry, I'm getting slashed right now. But so, so this this uh, this episode is all about our favorite fantasy movies uh, pre Lord of the Rings. And, and we'll get into why, more reasons of why we split up next week um, without completely giving away next week's show. You can probably guess. Uh, so without further ado, we're just going to jump right in and start talking about uh, our favorite fantasy movies pre 2001. Um, and not necessarily that year, but just sort of like the fantasy genre before <clears throat> the inescapable influence of Lord of the Rings, um, the movies hit, uh, we're still going to be talking about Lord of the Rings because there's still no escaping the influence of Tolkien on the fantasy genre, but specifically the Peter Jackson movies, uh, we're, we setting ourselves before that. So who wants to start off?
1: Well, yeah. yep. um, so anytime, you know, when you're discussing fantasy pre pre Lord of the Rings. And, and this doesn't even get away from Lord of the Rings. Uh because uh it, it was it was meant to be Lord of the Rings. Oh, look at you taking one off my list already. I love yeah, it. I'm going I'm going straight for, you know, 1981 Excalibur.
2: Yes, um, sir.
1: Beautiful movie um very well done very much very much the 80s but uh, i don't i don't know it's 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 the way the 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 actors all of the actors in this movie including sir patrick stewart um they they have such great on screen you know rapport uh and, and i also I, I get a feeling i say it was supposed to be lord of the rings cuz that's what the way the production started was they were going to do a live action lord of the rings yeah, so
2: here's the fun circle uh, that is Excalibur. John Borman wrote a script for a movie based on Arthurian legend. I think it was specifically about Merlin. Studio said, no, nah, this is kind of boring. We don't really feel like it. But we just picked up the rights to Lord of the Rings. How do you feel about that? Borman said, sure. So he took it in for like a year and a half, worked on a live-action Lord of the Rings movie. Um I think it might have even been a couple movies at some point, you know, had scripts with various co-authors and stuff. It was in production so long, the studio decided, yeah, yeah, we're not going to go with that. Uh, that just seems like it's going to cost too much money. Uh, so then <laughs> Portman's like, well, how about that Arthurian thing you didn't want? They're like, Yeah, 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 go ahead and do that. Sure. Uh, and I think the only bit that survives is the, um, the platform for the joust that you see at a certain point in the movie uh, was originally being built as part of Lothlorien and uh, everything else. Just they switched gears back to the original plan of uh, doing the the legend of Arthur, not so much Merlin, but the the legend of Arthur in general.
1: Well, I always got at least the beginning of Excalibur. Oh, definitely. Uh, uh, at the beginning of Excalibur I always got a a bit of a live action disney sword in the stone feel
2: <clears throat> well for a movie where uh your main plot point is you get turned into a random animal and have a wacky adventure repeat uh rinse and repeat disney's sword in the stone is not an inaccurate adaptation of part of T H White's uh Once and a Future King
1: Yeah, yeah. No, no. But I mean, when you've got the young Arthur and he's uh, uh, he's functioning as uh, Kay's adopted younger brother and squire Mm -hmm. uh, and you've got the whole tournament thing and he goes to get the sword feels like it's lifted straight from sword in the stone.
2: If you're going to steal, steal from the past.
1: (laughs) No, no. It was a complaint. (laughs) It was not a complaint by any means. Um, in fact my favorite part of this movie uh is uh uh after Arthur defeats um oh the the I, I forget who it was. Well he gets the sword and he comes back, he unites everybody, you know.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Uh and they're at the party that night.
2: Yep.
1: And uh Guinevere brings the the cake over to him and Mer- cuz i love the actor that plays merlin in this it's like you know he he doesn't want any he, the biggest flaw he sees in everybody he tries to make a king or whatever is this whole fairer sex sexuality human relationship shit that he just can't understand and uh um you know uh he's he's he sees arthur looking at guinevere and he tells him he says looking at the future is a lot like A lot like uh, uh, eating a cake. Until you take a bite of it, what do you really know? And then, of course, it's too late. And when he's looking off saying this, Arthur takes a bite. And he looks back and sees he's he's eating the cake. And he's like, "Ah, too late. (laughs) 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 Uh, We're done. (laughs) Yeah, great movie, though. Love this one. This is one of my favorites.
2: No, uh I'm with you man. This was, uh I had I had five movies and a couple other mentions, but this one is solidly uh number 2 on my list. Uh to this day, you know, like you said, it was made in 1981. Here we are almost 40 years later. Still the most faithful adaptation of the Arthurian legend ever put on screen uh other better actors may play these roles uh better you you may have an adaptation or a version you like better than this but it is still uh and i think i had this rant a while ago uh arthur is one of those things where every few years someone comes along and does another version of it but we're at a point where everyone who picks it up tries to do something different and tries to make it their own version Uh, And we're currently in in what I call the forget what you think you know era of all these classic stories where they just try to complete. They want the name because the name King Arthur will sell tickets. People know King Arthur. Yeah, sure. Um, But they count on people not knowing the actual story. And they always feel the need to change things up and make it different and put a new spin on it and change it up. It's been 40 years since we've seen just the original story. Your audience probably has no fucking idea what the original story is, other than the Disney movie, which again, well, not a bad place to start from. the
1: The, the problem with the Arthurian legend, and we could probably do a whole show just on the Arthurian legend. Don't you uh, tell
2: me with a good time.
1: I know, but it's it's not it's not one source. Uh, the the Arthurian legend as a whole is kind of woven together from several different treaties. Uh and, and, and or treatise uh, not treaties as in treaties with countries, but a, a treatise as in a uh uh doc help me out. <laughs> I'm blanking on what it what, what I would compare it to. Okay. You sure. uh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> went to the math major for a, what does a treatise mean? Yeah. I, went okay. the, I went to the teacher. You dipped into the, the wrong teacher, well on that. Wrong, one. wrong department. No, I, I get what you're saying, Scott. Yeah. The Arthurian legend, yes, it is over many centuries cobbled together, but I will vehemently argue if you're going to do any version of this story, the first two places you go to are T.H. White's Once and Future King, which for me is the definitive version of the Arthurian legend, uh, and then you dip into, which T.H. White even incorporates this in his version, but then you go into um, The Death of Arthur by the French guy whose name I can't remember. Uh, those are the most common uh, versions, written down versions of this story and T.H. Yeah. White's whole Once in a Future King is an attempt to uh, um, take all these desperate uh, pieces of the legend and weave them together into one thing Yeah, uh, and even that is, it's huge, it's over a thousand pages, a yeah. thousand pages is broken up into three main sections, you know, kind of like a trilogy a movie should be <clears throat> uh, but it I get what you're saying, but I disagree with you. I think there's definitely a definitive version of this story. Unfortunately, in 40 years no one's ever attempted to just tell the story again. The closest we've maybe come is the TV series Merlin with uh, Sam Neill, which does tell the story of Arthur, but it's all told from Merlin's point of view. Um so it's
1: it's See go that ahead. was another, that was another one of my picks. Thank you very oh, much. Okay. Sorry, you go just ahead. Trampled right over that one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, the point I was trying to
2: make everyone wants to do the, it's the story you think you know but it isn't the one it, it's different and it's new and, and the case in point is um, what was it called uh, King Arthur Legend of the Sword which came out like two three years ago which is yeah. fucking god awful uh, which literally looks like it, it It reminds me of a kid who had to turn in a book report about King Arthur but didn't bother reading the book so he just mashed together a bunch of things he knew about that, oh Arthur is a or Merlin is a wizard and Arthur
1: it it's like the sword
2: and uh, there's fights
1: it's it's like they they did a drunk history episode of king arthur and then turned that into a movie
2: yeah without doing any of the research that drunk history normally provides its people it's just somebody <laughs> regurgitated uh no it's it that it's tor- it's terrible it's horrible uh you t- take the name king arthur off of it just make it a random generic fantasy thing maybe but uh, <laughs> same with with the most recent version of robin hood which really gets my my goat going on that but like it's been so long since we've seen just here's the legend th- that you know or you should know presented to you in a new way, uh, and I still think King Arthur, you know, someone adapting uh, the once and future king into a set of movies would be great.
1: Well, I, uh, I, I, I think ahead. we could probably table King Arthur for a future episode of okay. just of just King Arthur, maybe King Arthur and Robin Hood, kind of lump them together and just discuss the the whole. Best worst treatment of those two, two classic tales. But yeah, I don't know because well, we uh, haven't we haven't heard from the doc yet. We don't know. You're right. We is. have now. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> you guys just went off on a tangent. I've never actually seen Excalibur, so oh, sorry. I'm, you booned me, sir. Uh, sorry. I just I was like, eh, I've never seen it, and then my computer got glitchy, which was fun. And it still kind of is. So if I just cut out all of a sudden, I'll probably be back once the, you know, the sketchy Internet up here in Iowa in the middle of nowhere. But
1: uh, you're going to be blown to Bermuda.
0: Yeah. Yes. Before
1: that happens, give us your first pick.
0: Okay, so um, I don't know if you consider it fantasy or not, but I definitely quoted it as my opening today. uh, And that's The Princess Bride.
2: I consider, yeah I
0: consider it a fantasy um it's I remember the first time I saw it was on a bus to a speech contest, and that's not like giving speeches, it's like acting and um our Is director on bus? N- no okay, um uh, and our director at the time uh shout out to kate reapy uh she was quoting it the rest of the day but like i couldn't hear it well because you're on a bus and so i was just like okay it's just this like rom-com type movie and then when i actually got to see it from beginning to end man it's great uh it It contains probably the best sword fight of all
1: time in cinema
2: oh hands down it is still unchallenged Mm -hmm. best sword fight on in cinema history Um,
1: fight fight with the RUSs. yeah
2: uh that
0: (laughs) yeah that's great too that like when you actually watch it again you're like yeah that's a guy in a suit but like at the time I mean, you know you're like okay. no, no. pretty sure at the time we still knew that was a guy in a suit
2: that's true <laughs> i they never
0: fooling anybody it, it really didn't it's like oh oh that poor guy in that suit like i wouldn't want to be that guy um it's got a great cast there's a lot of hilarity I laugh still watching that movie. Um uh, was just really great.
1: Yeah, no, it's uh guys Scott. I was gonna say, have you ever read the book?
0: I have not. Don't
1: no no, read the book. Mm-hmm. No, 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 hang on. Hang on now. I'm not trying to compare the book to the movie. Uh because, you know, there, there's the whole the book is better than the movie camp type thing that the arguments that go ahead. You get arguments back and forth. I can see both sides of it. But this one, when it comes to The Princess Bride, I highly recommend everybody to watch this movie. And I highly recommend everybody who enjoys reading on any level to read this book. Because you can't compare these two book to movie. The book has its own je ne sais quoi in the fact that it is written from the beginning by the original author as an abridged version. You can only find an abridged version because an unabridged version was never written. So literally, as you read through the books, you read the author's notes on what got taken out because it was too long. And I find that funny as shit. Nice. It's awesome.
0: Uh, Yeah, I'd have to say Andre the Giant's my favorite part of that movie,
1: though. Anybody want a peanut? Well, Stop rhyming! But uh, uh, Manny Potenkin, man steals the show. Love him in that movie. He's fantastic. <laughs> you keep. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. <laughs> <laughs> no, the whole
2: movie is uh, cast perfectly. Uh, there's not a weak link in that in that entire cast. Everyone's at the top of their game, doing the. Uh, it's it's so great, um, and and like you said, it, it is a very hard movie to pigeonhole. Because yes, it is fantasy. It is kind of a fairy tale. It is a romantic movie. And I remember my mom trying to convince me in the video store when I was a kid. No, no, John, you should rent this movie called The Princess Bride. What? No. John, you really—you'll like this movie. I don't want to watch this. it. It's almost like when the the grandfather sits down and tells his kid he's going to read this. He's like, "Is this a yep. kissing book?" I had the same reaction in the local video store. Where my mom was trying to like, John, you'll like this. Like, no, I don't want to watch the Princess Bride. This, this maybe, is a Maybe. This... Uh, yeah. And I was forced to watch it, and she's like, "No, it has like fighting and swords and stuff." I'm like, uh, "Okay, uh, thanks, mom. You were right." <laughs>
0: Marriage is what brings us here today.
1: Uh,
2: All right, then. Uh, great. Well, I'm just going to jump ahead before someone else does it. Because, uh, look, stick with me on this one. When you're talking fantasy and you're talking 80s, uh, there were a lot of great, what I call uh, sword and sorcery movies in the 80s. Uh, but there's one name that if you're talking sword and sorcery, the buck kind of starts and stops with this name. And that is Conan the Barbarian. Yep. But I am not here to talk to you about Conan the Barbarian. No, sir. Uh, I am here to talk to you about the 1984 sequel, Conan the Destroyer. Ooh. Conan the Uh, Librarian? Say what? Conan the Librarian? No, 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 That, that, that was on, uh, UHF. Oh. Um, Conan the Destroyer from 1984, the sequel to the 1982 Conan the Barbarian. Uh, I am certain I am the only person who will rank this one above the original. The original Conan the Barbarian is a great movie. It's got all the crazy balls-to-the-wall stunts and sword fights and nudity and and gore and people turning into snake monsters and all that shit. It's, It's great. It's a great movie. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. However, it's full of gore and nudity and people turning into snake monsters and because of that my father for years convinced me there was only one conan movie and it was conan the destroyer because <laughs> conan the destroyer uh when they've set uh, set out to make it was purposely made to be a more family appropriate movie even though the first movie made tons of money the producers thought if we made it a more family friendly thing it could make even more money um, which ended up you know causing Arnold to hate the franchise and leave it, but Conan the destroyer, the sequel to me was always the one I grew up watching, and it was my introduction to the classic fantasy genre trope of the party going on a quest uh Conan the destroyer is all of Conan and his thief buddy uh are are hired by this this queen. To take her daughter, this princess, uh, along with her bodyguard, uh, to go to a crystal palace in a magical lake to steal a magic key from a sorcerer to bring it back so they can resurrect their god. Uh, it is it's it's a barbarian, <laughs> a thief. Uh, they uh, recruit Akira, the the wizard, uh, and uh, Azula, the Amazon warrior, uh, to, to go on a quest to get a magic item. Uh, and you do not get more straight-up fantasy genre trope than the party going on a quest. Uh, but this was my introduction to that. And it's got a great cast. It features, again, Jay, Andre the Giant, um, in an uncredited role inside the suit of Dagoth, the sleeping god, at the end of the movie. Um, they wanted somebody to physically rival Arnold Schwarzenegger, so they cast Wilt Chamberlain as uh, Bombata. <laughs> Uh, Fun story, Uh, they had to go to different countries to try to find a horse big enough for Wilt Chamberlain to fit on, because the first several horses they brought him, when he mounted it, his feet still touched the ground. Oh, wow. (laughs) Jeez. Jeez.
1: What did he wind up having to ride? Do you know?
2: I, that I don't know. It, just said, it said they found a horse in Spain. It didn't say uh, on IMDb what kind of horse it was. Okay. Uh, but the, the screen debut of Grace Jones as Zula, the Amazon warrior. Uh, Tracy Walter, a.k.a. Bob the Goon from Batman, uh, as Malik, the Thief. And, of course, the late, great Mako as Akira the Wizard. Um, and the screen debut of Olivia Diabo as Princess Jenna who's gorgeous and I feel creepy because I didn't learn until I was looking up facts about this movie. She was 14 when she made that movie. Um, so I'm glad I saw it when I was like nine. Uh, but it's, it's, it's not as hard edge as the original Conan is. And I can see people not liking that because Conan at its heart is hard edge. I get that. Uh, but as a kid growing up, this was my introduction to that whole fantasy trope. And, uh, it's still got all the fun and action and sword fights and magic uh, and and twice as many monsters as the last one does. Uh, and no creepy-ass uh, snake people. So it gets a automatic half-star bump up in in, in my book for not having snake people because I hate snakes.
1: Oh, hey, uh, Audrey the Giant was in, in this movie as well.
2: Didn't I just say that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: he was- did. I was looking at something, and I think I may have tuned out for a minute there. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> also
2: uh, has an amazing theme from Basil Pol- Polidaris. I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Uh, if you don't recognize the name, that's fine. You recognize he did the theme for Starship Troopers, Robocop, Red Dawn, Iron Eagle, the original Conan, the Barbarian, and Hunt for Red October. Uh, and his score in this movie is also equally as, as epic. Um, yeah.
1: yeah, I'm going to have to go back and and watch this. I know I've seen it before. Um I uh I was never a big fan of the Conan movies. Um growing up because of course you got Conan the the Barbarian, the Destroyer and Red Sonja, which I believe is a spin-off somehow. It's
2: it's in the same world and it does have Arnold, but he is not playing Conan in Red Sonja. He's playing a different character.
1: Okay. Um and I think part of the reason why is because when I was growing up, uh, this was one of those movies that like uh, TBS or something got a hold of. Yep, and they they put them on like every Sunday afternoon for years.
2: Sure did.
1: And I was I was it just was sick awesome. of it. Sick of it. I
2: again it, it it gets dumped on a lot because it isn't it's not at all the same type of movie that the first one is. And I get people being upset by that. Um, But the, the original Conan movie, if I have any criticism for the, for Conan, the barbarian, it's that the plot of Conan, the barbarian is very, very, very scattered. I mean, there's like an overall kind of plot of he's trying to find the person who killed his parents and get revenge, but it isn't really the driving force. The plot kind of meanders for two hours plus until we kind of stumble into that revenge plot. Whereas this movie, very clear narrative, a uh, Act 1, Act 2, Act 3 structure. Uh, so as a kid, much easier to follow, um, especially like Scott said when it's on TBS and there's commercial breaks and you maybe miss the when it comes back from break and you're like, wait, how are we here now? I'm confused.
1: Um,
2: so, yeah, unfairly given uh, the crap treatment, really, give it a second watch, Conan the Destroyer.
0: Um, Conan the Destroyer, is that the one where they put the horn on the thing? Yep. And then yep. at the end, he rips the horn off the thing. Spoiler. Sorry. The...
2: <laughs> yeah. <it is. laughs> Spoiler for a 40-year-old movie. Yes, yes, it is, Jay.
0: Yeah, that one. I love that one. It's awful. that. I don't think I've actually seen Conan the Barbarian. So, like, I'm on my list, I just put Conan. Oh. Because I didn't know which one it actually was. Like, I know there was the <laughs> Barbarian, and I know there was the Destroyer. And... The one that I've seen the most is the Destroyer.
1: Well, let's oh, let's yes, <laughs> well, well, let's, let's, uh, let's not forget Call the Conqueror, which technically was kind of supposed to have been Conan, but stuff happened.
2: Gotta love Kevin Sorbo. Yep. <laughs> By this axe, <laughs> I rule. That's all I remember about that movie. That being very disappointed, he doesn't use that axe very much.
1: I don't think I ever saw it.
2: It's not good. <laughs> It's not horrible, but it's it's not good.
1: Oh, well.
2: I don't know. I just wanted to... uh, I've got some other... I tried not to go with some of the more obvious ones on here. I tried to keep some of the more eclectic ones, but uh, I wanted to get that one uh, out of my system because I really think it deserves a second watch.
1: Well, Well, when we're discussing the fantasy genre... Uh, in the eighties, pre pre uh, Steve Jackson, Lord of the Rings, uh, and, and things of that nature. You, you you've got several different flavors, and and Conan was definitely in that that whole mid eighties. It had a very, in, in my opinion, a, a like a Mad Max kind of production feel to it. If that makes sense, I mean, it's not Mad Max, obviously.
2: Well, that's um, the original director uh uh john millius was a guy who loved to do everything practical and real so it, it has that like the stunts are not like there's no no big special effects stuff there there's some obviously some optical illusions and some visual effects and whatnot but the fights are all real guys with mostly real swords uh, you can never make this movie now because he completely ignored all the, uh, you know, health and safety regulations. Um, there's a scene where Arnold is being chased by wolves into a cave. Those are real wolves chasing Arnie. Um, yeah, it, it, it yeah, it, it has that very real rugged feel to it, um, even when they're doing crazy things. Because mostly they made someone do that crazy thing. Nice. What I, else never, you got
1: for Scott? Well, uh, I don't know. I, so, I guess when it comes to me, and when, when I when I think of fantasy, when I like fantasy, I, I tend to like a little bit more, uh, I guess, fantastical fantasy, where the, you know, I guess the 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 magic and everything is a little more overt. Uh, okay. Because there's 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 magical things in Conan and stuff, but they're very muted. Yes, you, you yes. don't have wizards. You don't have magical swords. It, it very much is a, a, a very grounded fantasy. I, I like. I tend to like a little more higher fantasy. Um, and I'm going to take us back to Lord of the Rings again. Okay. Uh, because one of my favorite movies growing up, and I, I didn't get to watch it a lot because this was the days where stuff just had to pop up on TV or. You you know had to be lucky enough to be able to get your parents to take you to a to a video place that had it, mm-hmm. the one of if you were lucky only two in town, uh, and uh, it was uh, the the nineteen seventy eight Lord of the Rings the animated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love this movie. It crams a lot into it, and you could argue that it was the first. Uh, uh, the first live-action Lord of the Rings as well, because a lot of it was filmed with live actors. The animation was rotoscoped over it. <laughs>
2: yes, it was.
1: <laughs> um, but I, I know this was—you know—Peter Jackson was a huge fan of this movie, uh, and 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 he took he took some shots and stuff from it. But it was very faithful to the books. What they could get in there, because they they condensed. Um, all of the Lord of the Rings into one one movie. Uh, what was the runtime of this thing? Hang on.
2: Well, I don't. I don't think. only it covers the first two books, doesn't it?
1: Does it? I thought it covered all it's, of them.
2: Because there's a there's years later they finally made a sequel, which they titled um, I think it was just titled Return of the King, and oh. covers the last half. Because I don't. I think this movie ends on a cliffhanger. Because they were intended oh. to make more than they ever got to.
1: I think you're right. And uh, I, because I always saw them back to back. Because whenever they went on TV, they always put them on back to back, at least when I saw them.
2: And they were, the second one was made by, it was Rankin Bass? Like the animation style between it's the two. Totally it's totally, yeah. totally different.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, don't, I remember not liking The Return of the King that much. And I think it was because of the Rankin and Bass animation. Uh, I just didn't care for it. Uh, it. It just felt, well, it felt too Rankin and Bass for me. I didn't know who they were at the time, but. <laughs> uh, I do it's very rank and bass. It's very rank and bass. Um, but no, I, I enjoyed this movie. I, I liked the characterization. I liked the acting. Uh, the animation style was was nothing you know like I had seen uh, on any of my other cartoons that I watched when I was around this age. Of course, keep in mind I was one when this came out, so I didn't see it till many years later. But um. Uh yeah, I, I always I always like this one's fantasy, um, and I think it it really if you love it or hate it, it, it still deserves a spot when you're talking about fantasy pre Lord of the Rings, the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings,
2: not the Steve Jackson Lord of the Rings,
1: <laughs> or the Samuel uh,
2: Jackson Lord of the Rings. Gotcha, Jay. What else you got, buddy? Listen. Okay.
0: If we're talking fantasy, we are, and we're talking 1980s, certainly I'm going to go with probably what would I, I would consider peak 1980s fantasy film. Okay. Starring some big names.
2: Are you ready for this? I was like, do you have one in mind, or are you still on for time? Let's go. <laughs> no, no, I I do. Sorry, types.
1: I don't know. I got nothing.
0: Uh, and I, I can't remember. Somebody on the show would be very pleased with me bringing this up Big Trouble in Little China. Hmm, personally,
1: I don't consider this movie to be fantasy. This is just me personally. Yeah, yeah. I I, can I gotta, see the I, argument.
2: Well, give us your uh, why. Why do you put this on your fantasy list, Jay?
0: Okay, so it doesn't have swords in it, right? But it definitely has the sorcery and a lot of fantastical elements to it. Okay, um, your your big bad guy at the end. It's like okay, replace Kurt Russell's machine gun. With a sword and bow and arrow, and you can put this in another time frame, a different era. You know, saving the damsel in distress, weird sorcerer, a lot of crazy shit happening.
2: Okay. You're not wrong on any of that. No, you're not. There is plenty of crazy shit happening. I mean, that's just my argument. Like
0: I said, I got a lot of, I mean, not a lot, but I had a couple that skirt what you would consider fantasy. But to me, this one, like, if I'm going to pick this up in a movie store, or if I'm running a movie store, I would have a hard time placing this movie somewhere other than in fantasy.
2: It goes in the John Carpenter was really stoned when he wrote this (laughs) section, which every good video store needs to have. The director was stoned when he made this section. Yeah,
0: Uh, yeah, and I get what you guys are saying. that You wouldn't consider it fantasy. But like I said, if I replaced Kurt Russell's machine gun with a sword and a bow and arrow.
2: Well, if you're going to go down that road, Jay. I know, we've had this
0: argument before, but I'm just saying.
2: Well, if you replaced Arnold's minigun in T2... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like, if you're going to play that game, then you you can make anything a fantasy. Now, look, I, I can definitely see where an argument could be made that elements of it fit in the fantasy genre, certainly. Um But for the purposes of this list, I don't know if it fits. But I like that, so we're leaving it there.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean... I, I'm not the biggest Big Trouble in Little China fan, so I would have never thought about it. Like, when I think fantasy, this would never pop up. But once again, it's not my movie. Um, but, you know, listening to to you know what you say and going back to what I know about the movie, uh, I could definitely see you considering this, you know, a fantasy set um, in, in modern times. Just completely. Um Right, I like. There's, I mean, I have a hard time.
0: I would have a hard time describing it to anybody, other than imagine it's Imagine like a fantasy type movie, but in the
2: eighties. One cannot be told <laughs> what big trouble in Little China is. One must experience it for themselves.
0: It's true, like I just and you know when you said, and I was hesitant about bringing it up, but then when John's like, I'm trying to avoid the cliche fantasy and kind of be eclectic. I was like, I'm gonna bring this one up just to throw it out there. Well hey, it's, it's definitely an off-the-wall choice. <laughs> to me it's different enough to be considered a fantasy movie. I mean like, and again
2: you could definitely make that argument. <clears throat> uh and just because the main character walks around with modern firearms, I don't think that makes it uh excludes it from being fantasy. Because the next one on my list uh, literally, I have um, written down from my introductory line, uh, swords and magic. Why can't we have swords and magic and laser guns?
1: I, I thought we were going to talk about Star Wars.
2: No, we're not. Oh, okay. Trust me, we're not. Uh, before I do that, um, I have to say, there is one sort of subgenre. I don't know if I... I don't know if this is a subgenre or a trope of the genre or just a really weird coincidence that so many movies tend to have this same kind of plot structure, but there's one thing fantasy movies do sometimes, some fantasy movies do, that pisses me off to no end. I hate when they do this. I call it the Beastmaster 2 syndrome, where in order to save money, uh this... Wonderful, fantastical realm that we've created for these characters to live in, and then what happens? They come to our world. <laughs> I fucking hate that. Uh Beastmaster 2 does it. I mean, to an extent, Thor does it. Uh Enchanted, that's the whole concept of the movie. Is a Disney princess gets sucked into the real world? Um I, I hate that.
1: The Smurfs movie.
2: Oh, yes. Ugh. <sighs> kate and leopold that's more time travel but anyway um i hate hate that trope so when i tell you that the next movie on my list does that trope and i don't care because i love it that much i want you to understand how much i unashamedly love this horrible movie And I already said swords and magic and laser guns and it's from the 80s and it's based on arguably the most popular toy line ever created. If you haven't guessed it yet, I'm talking Masters of the Universe from 1987 starring Dolph Lundgren as He-Man and Frank Langella as Skeletor. I love this movie so much. I, Ah. I, (laughs) I,
1: I am also a fan of this movie. Um, I know it gets a lot of hate. Um, it's it's very. Uh, I don't want to say low budget because it had a budget, but oh, you, you you could tell they spent their budget. They kind of blew their budget in certain areas, and 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 they cut back in 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 other ones, which is I think part of the reason why we don't spend as much time in, in Eternia. So. Uh,
2: this movie first of all the fact that this movie exists and is as good as it is is nothing short of a miracle because and i'm going to drop a name on you real quick and if you're a cinema fan from the 80s this name will say all you need to know this movie was financed and produced by canon films this is one of two movies that bankrupted this studio (laughs) Uh, run by Golan and Globus, the two guys who were notorious for selling movie A to all their investors, raising a ton of money to make movie A, then taking that money and making movies B, C, D, E, and F, and hoping that those movies made enough to then turn around and fund movie A in the first place, which is exactly what happened with Masters of the Universe. They sold they, – they somehow got their hands on the rights for Spider-Man. They raised money to make a big-budget Spider-Man movie, and then they split that budget between Masters of the Universe. And I'm going to mention this movie, and you're all going to know exactly the rest of the story. The other movie that they used the money for was Superman Four, the <laughs> quest for peace. <laughs> And do you see why they're bankrupt now? <laughs> well, we don't talk about canon films anymore. So the fact that this movie, uh, which ended up with a $22 million budget, which was the most expensive uh, budget ever for a canon film at that time, um, it's a miracle it turned out as well as it did. And and Act 1 and Act 3 are awesome because we're on Eternia. And they, they did, like Scott said, they spent the money uh, wisely where they could. The money is on screen. The Castle Grayskull Throne Room set was so big. Beautiful. It took up two studios. They had to tear down the walls of two studios and literally merge the two studios together to make a big enough studio for the Throne Room set. Uh, Which is why we spent a lot of time in the Throne Room set. Um, Some of the effects were even chintzy at the time. Um, the costumes were interesting because they're not really the action figure costumes, but they're not the cartoon costumes. They're kind of a, a merge of the two to give them their own kind of look. Uh, it, it introduces new characters, uh, Blade, Korg, Gwildor, uh, Sarad, mostly because Hasbro would not let them kill off any character from the cartoon. So if they wanted to kill anybody off, they had to create their own characters. Um, <laughs> There were so many limitations put on this movie. The fact that Gary Goddard, the director, got anything done with it is a testament. But it does. It, it, just like the Masters of the Universe uh, toys and cartoon, it is very much fantasy with the trappings of sci-fi thrown into it. We have a magic sorceress. We have a, the sword of power, Castle Grayskull. But that's combined with laser guns and uh, uh, floating uh, armada ships and alien kind of creatures uh and a a cosmic key that is straight out of you know science fiction it mashes all this shit together which when you're a kid uh at at the time you always kind of separate those two it's like oh that's science fiction and this is fantasy and they don't touch and this movie's like no put them all in a blender um which i love endlessly about that franchise um, I took a lot of notes about this movie. I got excited, so I'm trying to get the good parts out.
1: And uh, you know Frank Franklin, Langella, you know acting his ass <laughs> off. God, yes, in this movie. Uh, and this I, I still sorry, good, sorry. sorry. Yeah, that's fine. No, no, go ahead. Just saying,
2: I, I still think that Skeletor makeup is creepy as fuck. Uh, and Frank Langella, 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 whatever his name is, uh, he's been on gunner record as saying he had the most fun playing Skeletor of any role he's ever taken. He took it because his kids were big Masters of the Universe fans and he wanted to make a movie for them. Um, I, just, I love this movie so much. Never seen it.
1: Oh, my dear Lord.
2: Why are you on this show? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> Excellent question.
1: And let's not forget All right, it's been fun. See you guys later.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the jig is up, you're fired.
1: <laughs> and let's we not forget this movie also has Lieutenant Tom Paris. Thank you very much. I'm always always happy for anything that has uh, Star Trek uh, actors in it. Who? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, man. Sorry. I really I really I really thought you were coming along in the in in, in trectum. You know, fans. you didn't
2: say Riker, so I'm confused.
1: Uh, no, the, uh, the actor, um, uh, uh, Duncan, Duncan McNeil played, uh, the, 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 the boyfriend, the musician that gets the cosmic key thinks it's oh, a synthesizer. Yeah. yeah. He plays Lieutenant Tom Paris in Voyager.
2: Oh yeah. Uh, screen debut of Courtney Cox also, by the way. Sorry. Oh yeah. yeah throw that out there. <laughs> um, I thought, no, I was going to go a whole different reference for you, Scott, which I, I'm pretty sure a movie is coming up on your list. But um, Gwildor, who's the inventor who creates the Cosmic Key, who was created to be a uh, replacement character because they couldn't afford the effects to do Orko, was played by Billy Barty, who has a role in one of Scott's favorite fantasy movies.
1: Uh oh. He's one?
2: an actor of short stature. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. I don't know if that sets you up
1: or not. I, but. I think that is on my list. Um yeah. I I wanna make sure that I'm thinking of the right thing here before I before I say it. Um yeah. uh, oh, yes, yes, yes. He plays the uh, he plays the, the, the old wizard, doesn't he? Yep. At the beginning of the film. Yes, yes sure. he does. I I didn't even I didn't even realize that was him. Uh in but yeah, on, on my list, one of my one of my favorite fantasy movies and kind of what uh one of the things that started this this discussion that prompted us to talk about this uh was the movie Willow. Uh I I, I love Willow. Uh it's a fun movie. Uh I like uh Warwick Davis. Uh one of the few movies that uh uh, uh like you know Val Kilmer has done outside of Top Gun and Real Genius that hasn't absolutely sucked. That's just a person. Hey,
2: now, one.
1: Wow, shots fired, Batman forever. Come tombstone. on now. Yeah. Tombstone heat. Okay. Uh, you got me on tombstone. I didn't care for you. <laughs> yeah, I can't uh I can't fault you for tombstone. You top mean, Secret. Badass. Damn, Top Secrets good too. I forgot about that. Shit, alright Well, aside from... Take two! (laughs) (laughs) Aside from Tombstone and Top Secret and Real Genius and Top Gun, what has he really done? I mean, come on.
2: The Island of Duck... Oh, sorry, no. No, sorry. Sorry, no. no. I almost got out of my mouth and I thought about it.
0: Oh, what was that movie with Robert Downey Jr.?
2: Ghost in the Darkness?
0: Oh, that's a good one, too.
2: And that... Robert Downey Jr. is not in that one. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. There you go. I've never seen this. That. Is now the Val Kilmer show, everybody. We're <laughs> just here talking about the awesome roles of Val Kilmer, one of which was uh Mad Mardigan in Willow. There we go, back on topic. You're welcome.
1: Hey, look at that, it was good. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, because we were we were discussing uh, you know, upcoming uh, some fantasy shows, specifically the new Lord of the Rings show and the uh, the, the Willow show. That is, we have no better title for it yet. That's in very pre-production. Uh, we're just getting whispers coming out of it, um, and that led us to talking about uh, the the little-known fact that a lot of people don't don't realize, but uh, George Lucas uh, originally planned for Willow to be a jumping-off point for a whole trilogy of movies uh, that's set. You know, in a in in this world, this was literally just a primer for this world. This was not the main story for this world. Willow yes. was never intended to be the main character for this world. Um, and uh, uh, he never got around to making them. Um, to be honest, I'm not entirely certain why. I don't know if Willow just didn't do that well in the box office or what, but for whatever reasons. I did not. Well, whatever reasons, they didn't get made. So he partnered with Chris Claremont who is uh, best known for writing um, the X-Men comics. Uh, actually, saving the X-Men comics in, in the 80s and 90s. Uh, and they wrote a trilogy of novels uh, in lieu of a trilogy of movies uh, to continue the story. Uh, and uh, the the first one picks up uh, I believe mean,
2: Scott, Scott, you're getting into a future store, uh, future show topics already.
1: Oh, sorry. All right.
2: just tell us why you yeah. love the movie.
1: Well, I don't know. I just, uh, you know, it, it it has magic in it, but the magic is subtle. It's it's not overt until it really. Um, until it is okay. It's not overt until it is until it's pertinent to the story. We don't get flashy magic until it's necessary um and i don't know I just I, the the quest you, know, you get the whole moses thing with finding the baby that was supposed to have been killed uh blends a lot of different fantastical elements from a number of different sources um you you uh uh you, you meet uh, mad Mardigan you know on the on the journey and he's he's in a cage which I think is just a fantastic way to have a, an anti-hero enter a story. Um, it, it gives us the the awesome uh, slur slash term of endearment "peck," which I thought was fun as hell. Um, I don't know. Ridiculous. No, no. No, no, not Walter Peck. Oh. Peck is in a short person.
2: <laughs> sorry, sorry. This is a TV safe version. You mean Waldy Wick over here?
1: <laughs> so, but yeah, no. When it comes to to pre Lord of the Rings fantasy, nineteen eighties fantasy, uh, this is also this is on my list. It's it's one that's in my library. Um, when I'm in a mood for this genre, uh, I, I either reach you know like for Excalibur or for this one. But uh, but yeah. Love this movie.
0: Nice. It was also on my list. I enjoy Willow. Am I was, who doesn't like Willow? I was shocked when I found out that Megan has never seen Willow.
1: Yes, you are. Okay. You're, you're the only person in the world that does not like Willow.
2: All right. Fair enough. Yeah, John. Get it together. Yeah, all right. Not enough Mad Mardigan being an awesome swordsman. Sorry.
1: Uh, there is I, not enough Mad, for... Mad Mardigan being a swordsman.
2: I firmly judge my fantasy movies on cool sword fight stuff. So Well,
1: oh. well and not only not only the fact that when you <laughs> get the climax of the movie, do you that's when you start getting, you know, the actual you start seeing overt magic being used by the evil sorceress and everything, but Willow actually turns the tables on her by performing mundane sleight of hand stage magic not yeah. real magic stage magic and i just i thought that was f- a fun choice for the story you know is you know mo- because any movie nowadays if you, if if somebody was trying to tell this story in today's market in today's format of storytelling you would have the obligatory you know, oh, Willow comes into his own and discovers his true power and he steps up and he's wielding lightning and fire and he stands toe to toe with the the. you'd have the ending of, uh, well, Thor, basically, you know, it worked for Thor. And but the, the format would be that you wouldn't have him performing stage magic. I, I don't know. It just that, that's part of the reason why I think it has a certain charm. Okay. Alright.
2: So I mean again, uh apparently I'm alone on this, but uh it's just never really big into Willow. Yep. Sorry, Rob and Shelby.
1: Awful. Awful lonely out of that branch there, isn't it? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I guess you could say I'm going to quote unquote write the ship from my apparently way out of left field last
1: pick. Okay. Uh, And also... He's going
2: way right field on this one. (laughs) Yes.
1: He's bringing Uh, balance to the force.
2: uh, (laughs) I know.
0: Also, thinking about it now, I was introduced to a lot of fantasy films in school, whether on purpose or on accident, and this one was on purpose. Uh... And that movie is Clash of the Titans.
2: Very oh,
1: nice. Very um, nice. Yeah, Harry, Harry, what's the house, was his name? Ray Harryhausen, yes sir. Ray Harryhausen. Um, Gosh, I can't remember
0: what class it was in that we watched this. Either history or English or something like that. Um,
2: I hope it wasn't history class.
0: Back, I got no... It was something like along those lines, but we—it might have been English. I don't really remember because it had been so long ago that I actually first saw it. But uh, man, if you're talking about fantasy, there you go.
2: I mean, a little—it is guess, the Greek mythology, but uh,
1: it's a good one. Well,
2: it's, it's the gold standard for mythology mashup movies.
1: It is. It's 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 it's, it's mythology kind of put into a blender. Yeah,
0: it's just a whole lot going on um um i did not enjoy the remake
1: yes same i was about to say i when it comes to this or the remake i'll take this any day of the week and twice on sunday
0: it's it like it's definitely this one doesn't look great uh it's pretty cheesy at times but i would rather watch the original any day of the week over the remake. That remake was terrible. I didn't it's hate what's... the remake. What
2: was that, John? Huh? What? Nothing. What?
0: Well
1: <laughs> you're wrong.
2: <clears throat> I'm over two. It's all good. No, uh I'm really glad you brought this up because it was on my um honorable mentions list. But yeah, it's it's <sighs> it's a movie that I always forget is an 80s movie because it uses so many old school visual effects tricks mm-hmm. that it feels like a movie from an earlier time. Um, and I mean that as a compliment, I really do. Uh, it, the, the Ray Harryhausen, who was a, a legend in the world, of visual effects, the King of stop motion, uh, the guy who did Jason and the Argonauts, you know, the fight in the, uh, the fight the skeletons. Um, I, th- I believe this was his last film. I might be wrong about that, but it was definitely one of his later films. Um, you know, a guy who spent his career doing stop motion, pulling out every trick he knows, um, and it, it's very much Greek mythology for the most part. Um, it plays very fast and loose with following the actual myths as they are, and kind of weaves them into its own thing, which is all the better for the story because it gets his cool stuff like the Kraken. Um. Is Lawrence Olivier is uh, Zeus in
1: this one? I believe so. Yes. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: Sir Laurence Olivier.
2: Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Sir Laurence Olivier. Um, a great movie. It, it's it is a a classic. Uh, if you've never seen it, definitely go give it a, a watch. Uh, the Medusa scene alone is worth the whole. Movie. Uh, just the effects on her did that whole sequence is amazing. Um but it's a fun movie. Yeah. That that owl.
0: Yeah. Is what gets me to fucking owl. That, that
1: fucking owl. <laughs> Love that owl. <laughs> Say that fucking owl.
2: The best part of that owl is in the remake when he pulls it out of a trunk and goes, What's this? And the guy's like, Leave that there. Like, yeah, good. Arch. That owl's that owl's there because R2 D2.
1: I'm pretty sure the owl's name is Artemis, isn't
2: it? Yeah, that's Boobo or something like that.
1: Boobo? That was Artemis. What am I thinking of?
2: You're thinking of Archimedes, the owl that Merlin Archimedes.
1: has. Thank you. Yes. That's what I was thinking.
2: Archimedes is awesome.
1: Boobo's stupid. Well so so is boobla boobla. <laughs> uh. We in fact that's what we need. We need we need like a buddy cop movie now with with just Archimedes and and um, boo
2: An animated 2D drawn uh, owl and a stop motion yes.
1: Yes. 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 That's exactly. Uh,
2: Jim Hansen, workshop, get on that.
0: <laughs> I like it. Sounds good. <laughs>
2: uh Love it. Good pick, buddy. Good pick. <clears throat>
1: Are you yeah. on me? I yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. Okay. All right. Uh,
2: I have to bring this one up because it's a bit of a headache. Um, but I love this movie. Uh, even though I watched it the first time thinking it was something completely other than what it actually is, uh, that's okay because it's awesome. Uh, released in 1985 or 1986, depending on what part of the world you lived in, this is a fairy tale for adults written and directed by Ridley Scott. Starring a very, very young Tom Cruise Ugh. talking about legend. <coughs> which more accurately stars Tim Curry as the Lord of Darkness and the most holy shit, what? That's Tim Curry role ever. Uh, because the makeup on him is just yes. fucking phenomenal, even all these years later.
1: And one uh, of his favorite roles too um there's
2: like three different cuts of this movie so if you've never seen it i will tell you avoid the u.s cut seek out either the uh your the uh uk cut or the director's cut uh because they're very different uh if if you're hearing a uh soundtrack that's orchestral you've got the right one if you're hearing one from an 80s synth band you've got the wrong version (laughs) <laughs> um, but the the visuals in this movie the, the story is very, very, very basic. You can literally hit mute on this movie and follow the storyline. It's that simplistic. Uh, Tom Cruise plays Jack, a kid who lives in the forest who befriends a, a princess who we don't know as a princess because they changed that in some of the cuts uh their friends they are hanging out in the woods jack's trying to impress her so he takes her to a meadow where he shows her a unicorn and just as it so happens to be at that exact moment the lord of darkness tim curry has sent out his minions to kill this unicorn because he wants to uh the unicorns represent light and he is darkness and he wants to rule the world to so kill the unicorns so uh the the princess in a, as no fault of her own, ends up uh, assisting in a plot to kill a unicorn, which instantly plunges the world in darkness in winter. And Jack has to go on a quest to save uh, the unicorn before it dies and rescue his princess from darkness. Uh, and I originally watched this movie, and you'll know what I'm talking about if you just look up some of the imagery from it. I thought it was a Zelda movie, because Tom Cruise... <laughs> Is dressed all in green, living in the woods, hanging out with a princess who looks very much like Zelda. Um, uh, uh, what's the actress's name? Uh, she, I forget her name, but she, she looks very much like Zelda. She's just missing the point of years. Uh, and then he, he, he goes in a cave and finds a magical sword and armor and a shield. And he has to go fight a, a, a evil bad guy who is like ginormous, just like Ganon is. I really, really thought this was a Zelda movie when I first started watching it as a kid. Uh, I know better now, but it, it still works as a Zelda movie. Uh, uh, just change the names around a bit.
0: So this should not come as a surprise, but I have never seen this movie either. Ah. Um,
2: why? I thought we fired you. You're, yeah, you're hurting me <laughs> <But it laughs> so much. You,
0: you know, know the- what? You know what though? I have a nerd fact. Okay. Since you brought up Zelda, right. did you know that Link's name is Link because the Triforce was actually supposed to be a computer chip that allowed him to travel to the future, and that he was the link between the past and the future.
1: Interesting. But they did dropped.
2: You know that. <laughs> Link is named Link, not Zelda.
1: No, Zelda.
2: It's Zelda. A lot, a lot of people don't
1: know that. Uh, Zelda's his last name.
0: Right? That's... Zelda's the guy in the green with the hat and the arrow. Yeah, like Mario Mario.
1: Yeah, like Link, Link Zelda.
0: <laughs> Mario Mario and his brother Luigi Mario.
1: <laughs> Am I the only one that remembers the original television commercial for the first uh Legend of Zelda game where it just had the the, the guy in the black unitard running around a uh, black maze, yelling for Zelda. Probably
0: because um, I was probably not alive yet.
1: Okay.
2: <laughs> I think we were alive, Jay. I just don't know. <laughs> Reforming cognitive memories. <clears throat> Uh, but anyway, Legend, great movie. It's got all a, a ton of tropes you would expect from a fantasy movie. Unicorns, elves, goblins, fairies, dwarves, uh, magical swords. Uh, the villain is literally the devil, played by Tim Curry. I can't oversell that enough. Tim Curry makes this movie worth it alone. He um, does. <laughs> but all that directed by Ridley Scott, coming right off of Alien and Blade Runner uh, at the height of his game. Um, another one where, you know, they had, they, they took over the 007 stage at Shepherd and studios, um, to build this huge, enormous forest set because they couldn't get enough natural lighting the way Ridley Scott wanted the forest to be lit. So they built their own forest so he could light it the way he wanted. Love that fact. Um, which then later caused the, uh, entire stage to get burned to the ground, but that's a different story. <laughs> um, It's a great movie uh, if you've never seen it. Again, the story is very simple. There's not a lot of character development in it. It's more about the visuals, which are, even now, just slap your face amazing. The makeup effects in this are fantastic. Um, Tom Cruise's performance is not great, but that's not the point. Uh, Again, this is all about the visuals. This is a movie that very much like... um, Mad Max free road passes the mute test, which is you can put the movie on hit mute on your TV. And just from the visuals alone, you can follow the story perfectly um, because it's a very visual medium or the, the the film is, is, is told visually there. There isn't dialogue to explain shit. It's, it's, it's show, don't tell, which is what a movie always should be, but sadly is not. Um, But it, so if track it down, just make sure you're listening to or you're you're watching either the director's cut or the European cut. Um not the US cut. The US cut is like ninety two minutes. So if it's under two hours, you're watching the wrong cut. That's all I've got. Alrighty. Legend, go watch it.
1: Did I mention Tim Curry? Is is he <laughs> hey. Anything with Tim Curry in it, I'll watch. Uh
2: yeah. Like fresh off of Rocky Horror Picture Show, Tim Curry. It's amazing.
1: Beautiful movie, love it. Okay, it's counter back to you. I think. Back to me. Well, um, I'm gonna fast forward. us out of the 80s. I'm gonna I'm gonna get us into uh, uh, into the, the 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 fantasy drought that was the 90s. Okay. Yeah. Um. Because I liked. I really liked. Uh the uh the, the Merlin miniseries with uh Sam Neil. Uh yeah. I mean, uh it's it's once again it's the Arthurian legend and more. It expounds on because it centers on Merlin. It expounds on, on his life, uh, where he came from, what happens to him after everything. Uh sadly, the only thing that it doesn't do well is Merlin's ability to remember the future. that it doesn't do that very well at all. um but uh uh Martin Short as as Frick um uh the uh, the now Queen Margaret as uh uh was Queen Mab? Am I thinking of the right actress? I don't know. Um, I
2: just remember Sam Neill's in it. I haven't watched that in a long time.
1: God, I love this—the uh, fact that you know Merlin uh, has this—it's this. It's, it's, it's This—I this, don't know if you could call it an unrequited love because uh, she does love him back. It's just uh, uh, trials and life and circumstance keep, excuse me, keep them apart throughout. You know. Every time they, they come together, and then he loses her, and then gets her, and, uh, and goes. He's she's trying to find the the perfect king, and and the fact that uh, the, the fact that it brings in, uh, 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 Lancelot and Galahad, and it touches upon the Galahad story. When Galahad was a boy and pure of heart, and Merlin misjudges it because of Galahad's age, he dismissed him out of hand. Uh, you know, and the lady, like, it It touches upon, uh, 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 the, the death of Arthur, Arthur, Le, uh, was it, Le Muerte de Arthur, uh, in the fact that, uh, um, uh, Arthur uh, um, uh, sends one of uh, his knights to return Excalibur to the Lady of the Lake upon his death, and the the the, the knight can't do it and brings it back to Arthur. And he says, "Look, just 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 go, just throw it in the water, dude. Just just I'm telling you, you know, there's there's all kinds of shit that that, that gets put in this, uh, and, and it, 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 I love it."
2: I'll say this of all the, you know, my earlier rant about how everyone tries to make, you know, take these classic stories and put their own stamp on it, Merlin, I think, does the best job of doing that in simply by changing your focus. It's not about Arthur, it's about Merlin. That was a beautiful, ingenious way to come at the story from a new perspective, to add, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff obviously before he even meets arthur with uther um and, and stuff after the storyline of, of arthur's uh, and then his storyline keeps going a bit but it was a great way to to tell arthurian legend from a different point of view with a different perspective while still touching on all the things you think of when you think of arthurian you know arthur the sword of the stone the round table uh all that kind of stuff it's a really great miniseries sam Neil's fantastic in it um even if it is a little weird when he it's one of those things where like (laughs) they tell the entire life of Merlin. So at earlier stages, you know, younger actors. And then at a certain point, we jump into Sam Neill and it's like, you know, 40 something year old Sam Neill trying to play like a 19 year old kid. It doesn't quite work right, but it's fine. We'll we'll age into it. Uh, But it's like it's a two part, like four hour TV miniseries thing, isn't it?
1: Excuse me. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Two-part,
2: yeah. Yeah. So, a little long, but worth the watch. It's really great.
1: It was. Uh, and, of course, you know, it, it expands on, you know, Queen Mab and the Lady of the Lake. The only thing that we're missing, uh, of course, you get Mordred, but you don't get... It replaces Morgan Le Fay with Queen Mab. Yes. And, I, I, to be honest, I don't really understand why they do that. That one always escaped me. It works for the movie. Uh it gives us a uh from a storytelling uh point of view, it gives us a great dichotomy between her and the lady of the lake, who are these these ancient uh almost uh deific is that a word deified it is creatures. Now. Um and uh um the Lady of the Lake calm and serene. Uh, accepts her role, uh, accepts her fate, accepts the fact that the world is moving on past them. Queen Mab, you know, the, the, the other side of this yin-yang, the flip of this coin, uh, can't accept this. She can't go quietly into that good night uh, and literally creates uh, Merlin uh, as a, 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 a tool, uh, a, a vestige to bring people back to, to the old ways to preserve her own existence. And it goes horribly awry
2: yeah, backfires big time.
1: Yeah, so yeah, and overall, the story crafting is is very well done. Um, and uh, if anybody, well, and then when you... I'm going to do a spoiler here for this, okay, you get all the way through it, and this 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 still pisses me off to this day. Every time I see it, you get all the way through it, and and you find out that. Well, actually, I think you find this at the beginning, but um, Merlin is actually telling the story to to some people as a really old man, and uh, at the at at the end of the story, when we get back to you know him telling it, and he he finishes the story that he's telling, uh, the crowd kind of dis- just uh, uh, disperses a bit, and a, a, a an older frick. Played by uh, Martin Short, is there. Mm. And he tells him, he's like, That's not exactly the way I remember it, in Master Merlin. And he goes, Well, they wouldn't believe me if I told it exactly how it happened, how it really happened. And I'm like, You bastards, I want to know what happened now. <laughs> what really happened, you bastards.
2: <laughs> well, like we always say on the show, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Yes,
1: but it's probably a better story.
2: Sometimes, so, sometimes the fiction's better.
1: it Has Dolph Lundgren and, and, and lasers, laser pistols, and well, you didn't tell <laughs> me that. Hold on now,
2: <laughs> popcorn. Let's do this.
1: <laughs> so, uh, but you know, one of my favorites. I, I've always loved this. Even you know when I first saw it, I, I've had it on VHS. I've had it on DVD. Um, yeah, great movie.
2: Yeah. All right, Jay. Yeah. What, uh, you did left field, you did right field. What center field pick you got for us?
0: Well, I'm going to keep us in the 90s for this pick. Uh, And if you're a fan of the show, this was talked about when, uh, we did an entire show about Sean Connery. Oh, yeah. And, uh, that movie is Dragonheart. It's, uh, it's up there for me for fantasy movies. Uh. I don't know. I still laugh at parts of this movie. It's got some magic, but not as much magic as you would think. Uh, but it does have the swords. The it's got a dragon, a talking dragon, actually. It's got Dina Meyer. Uh, it's got <laughs> it's all the magic I need. Uh, <laughs> um, it's just really I I really enjoy that one there's not a whole lot to it it's a pretty simple story uh pretty straightforward plot guys hired to kill a dragon yeah,
2: king who's dying so they go to a dragon who takes out half his heart and gives it to the kid which somehow fits in his chest and now the kid and the king are combined because he hopes he's gonna be Yeah, that old chestnut you've all heard that before well
0: you know what i mean
2: <laughs> i'll give you a hard time but
0: um but it's, uh, there's just so many good parts to it. Like the thing, the one that sticks out in my head is uh, Dennis Quaid, right? It's Dennis Quaid, yep. Randy Quaid. Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid. Randy and...
2: Quaid would have been a whole different movie. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, Dennis Quaid when he's finally meets is it Draco. Right? Draco the dragon.
2: It's your movie, yeah. Is that right? <laughs> yes, it's Draco.
0: Sorry. Uh anyway.
2: Not Malfoy just Draco.
0: Yeah. Uh I'm gonna tell my father about this. Um uh, <laughs> anyway, uh when he's in Draco's mouth and he's holding up the sword to the roof of his mouth, and they have this like stalemate just talking about how one's gonna bite down and the sword's gonna go through and kill him, and they'll both be dead and then he picks out the bones of a different dragon slayer from between his teeth and Draco thanks him because it had been bugging him for so long that he That's finally it. got it out like that the, is just the, hilarious
1: the 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 thorn in the paw of the lion thing yeah
0: ah. i love and then,
2: uh, go
0: ahead. uh i i was going to say when you this is probably the scene you're going to talk about when they're trying to trick the town and he lands in the
2: lake, but he doesn't sink. <laughs> meat, meat. Uh, also, I love uh, Pete Postlewaite in this movie as the uh, the, the uh, friar who's trying to tell his story. And I, the reason, first of all, he's a hilarious character, but I love the the dichotomy there and what I think in, in upon later viewings. Because I did not get this when I first watched it. But I think why it's such a fun movie is it plays up on all your expectations of the knight charging into battle on his noble steed to face the evil dragon. And it, it takes that and kind of is like, yeah, okay, but for real, though, uh, like the knight and the dragon face off and they decide... This is kind of dumb. Why don't we just we could let's just partner up here and you know it becomes a like a buddy cop thing of the knight and the dragon scamming towns out of their money. Yeah, um, it plays up expectations in a fun way. Um, and, well, yeah.
1: that that the fact that when they when they do go into their scam when you know when when he goes out to quote unquote slay the dragon, like the dialogue they have with each other is melodramatic over the top. Uh, he throws, what is it like throws the spear or something and you know, he's, he's he's got got the giant crossbow. I
0: think
1: he just, he just, he just like grabs the the projectile out of the air with his feet, tucks it under his arm.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's just so over the top. It, 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 it's hilarious. It was it was it's a good, good
2: pick, man. That's, I was trying to look at because there was again there was a ton of them from the eighties, and I was like, okay, well, what about the nineties? Just got no, like Dragonheart is like the uh, fantasy movie from the nineteen nineties uh, that does all the you know what you think of as a fantasy movie. I, I don't quite know why the nineties got into such a drought from fantasy movies, but
1: man, well, I mean, you had some you had some misses that people that you don't remember in the nineties, like First Night.
2: I would argue that's not a fantasy movie.
1: I could see and that, that lick a at...
2: magic in that whole fucking movie. Uh,
1: okay. I mean I I could see the argument but you know it it's still I mean you're doing the Arthurian thing so are you Well they're, they're trying to. They're doing it okay. badly. But I
2: hate that movie mostly but yeah.
1: Well th- that was the thing. The 90s when it came to fantasy did did a lot of where they're like, "Hey, let's do fantasy without the fantastical elements."
2: Well, yeah, it's, there was a the big trend, a big transition to more historical stuff. Like Braveheart was was more the in tune of the day. Yeah, and, uh, Gladiator.
1: Yep. Yeah. They they stripped out the fantasy from fantasy.
2: It went to the the old Hollywood um, sword and sandal movies, not mm-hmm. to be confused with sword and sorcery movies. Which also do involve people wearing sandals. Uh so you can be a sword and sorcery <laughs> and sandal movie, uh, but no, it's a whole different diatribe. Sorry. Uh yeah, we we got we got into the nineties got very much into that kind of like historical epic kind of thing than than it did the straight up uh like we you know, Lord of the Rings style fantasy stuff. Which there's some great sword and sandal movies in the nineties, but not a lot of great fantasy. Like there's not there's not much. I will vehemently argue First Night is not a fantasy movie and is barely a King Arthur movie.
1: I, I give you that. It's, yeah.
2: Again, but, it's like somebody read the cliff notes of Once in a King like 20 years ago and then without refreshing their memory wrote a King Arthur script. How did Lancelot come in again? Oh, yeah. Um, he went through an obstacle course. Yeah.
1: That's
2: at totally a fair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. At the town fair. Yeah. He won, he won a prize at a fair.
2: You <laughs> <laughs> want a teddy bear for <laughs> Gwendolyn here. And that's how the whole thing started.
1: <laughs> uh,
2: seems legit. Hate that movie. Um. All right. My last pick then. Uh, I'll get into on the wire. Again, keeping with the theme of let's get weird with it. Um, this movie again, not great, but definitely worth a watch. If you've never seen it, it's entertaining. So, in the '80s, you've got your uh, hardcore fantasy with magic and swords, and you've got you know obviously you can't ignore it. You've got Star Wars, uh, which while has some of the things of science fiction like laser guns and spaceships, is very 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 much a fantasy story. It just has uh, you know the the um, coat of paint of uh, uh, sci-fi put over it. Which is not to say Star Wars is a bad thing, but Star Wars is definitely not science fiction, it's science fantasy. So, one movie tried really hard to mash all that together. And you can argue whether or not it succeeded. Um, But I'm talking about, from 1983, Crawl. Which, the only way I can describe this movie is, imagine a fantasy movie is happening. Uh, two kingdoms and a prince and a princess, and they're going to get married, and, and we're going to you know, put aside this war. We've been feuding for centuries, and the kingdom will be united. Yeah, Huzzah! Yay! And then in the middle of that, and try to take over the land. And the only way to save it is for the prince uh, and, a, and a band of uh, ragtag thieves to go on a quest to retrieve a magical weapon uh, to go defeat the evil aliens, that's cruel. It's it 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 shouldn't work. You could argue it doesn't work, uh, but it is definitely a unique uh, attempt to do the. Uh, it's literally like a fantasy movie is already in progress, and then Star Wars just crash lands into it.
1: I have never seen this movie. I've oh, never heard of this movie. Really? You've never heard wow. of it? I at least know about it. I've just never seen it. Yeah. It does have uh, Liam Neeson.
2: It does in it. I believe his first screen credit. It's his his very screen young, screen? young Liam Neeson. Um, it's got a really cool design. The spaceship uh, set design is cool. The look of the aliens is really neat. Uh, it introduces one of the coolest fantasy weapons of all time, which is the Glaive which is just this like five pointed star that has uh blades that pop out of it and you throw it and it comes back to you. Uh, but the blades retract, so you don't know, cut your hand. That's the magical fantasy weapon. We're trying to, to re- recover. Um, it's got a Cyclops as one of the, the ragtag group of, of thieves that they, they put together, uh, very much like the Errol Flynn era kind of sword fight, uh, sort of movie. um, it's it's weird in a fun way uh it it really is like someone tried to mash just just took a fantasy movie and a story and empire strikes back and just like mashed them together and you can argue (laughs) if it works or not uh i think it does um but no one ever tried it again so maybe it didn't i don't know
1: um So looking, this was not Liam Neeson's first credit. His first credit is actually Pilgrim's Progress, nineteen seventy eight, whatever that is, and he's okay. The first just as a pilgrim, but uh, don't forget, and I didn't even I had forgotten until just now I saw it. He was also in Excalibur, nineteen eighty one, as Gawain. So, but I mean, if if you're if you're gonna talk about, you know the fantasy slash sci-fi subgenre, we really need to talk about, you know, the all-time classic, Ice Pirates. Uh, I mean, that's just, that's on everybody's list. I mean, you know, everybody owns a copy of that movie. It's an awesome movie. It's wonderful. It's Robert Urich. I mean, what is there space herpes? What is there not to love about that movie? i
2: am not so... jump on that grenade.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh i like it
2: so yeah uh clearly uh not as well known as i thought it was uh go check out crawl um you'll yeah it, thank or hate me for
1: it yeah I'm, i mean i've seen the, the 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 posters and the 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 box cover art and everything over the years and i've just never actually seen the movie
2: it's worth a watch man it's worth a watch But anyone else have any other shout outs they want to get off their chest? any honorable mentions or anything else you want to make sure we talk about today?
1: When it, when it comes to movies, when it comes to fantasy movies, pre Lord of the Rings, uh, pre. Um, uh,
2: Peter Jackson.
1: Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings. Uh, you know. We we we've covered uh, I think the 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 biggest highlights uh, at least all the ones that I can think of that that are my go tos when when I get to, to that era uh, of uh, of uh, fantasy for watch the 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 cream of the crop that has been that has you know come to the surface of uh, of time and hindsight. Okay, sure, whatever. <laughs> Just stop talking right there. See if I care. I, I don't <laughs> to know. To quote there's...
2: you, you started talking. And I tuned out. What?
1: <laughs> there's,
0: like I said earlier, there's just a bunch of movies that like skirt the edge of quote fantasy or not, and I just kind of tried to find ones that I
1: thought matched. Okay. But you've got some watching to do, Jay. Yeah, apparently, nah. I'm
0: behind on my fantasy watching of obscure 1980s fantasy movies that may or may not contain Tim Curry. Well,
2: let me also get, before we close, one uh, other movie to put on your list, Jay? Because I'm going to go ahead and guess you haven't seen Dragon Slayer from 1981.
0: Nope.
2: Uh, young Peter McNichol. Um Yeah. Uh, check that one out too. Oh, uh, Lady Hawk. I was waiting for that one. Danny would be very upset if we didn't bring up Lady Hawk.
1: Danny would be very upset if we didn't bring up Lady Hawk. It just popped into my head. Um, uh, a uh, a young um uh, Matthew Broderick, um, more and
2: more importantly,
1: uh, Michelle uh, Pfeiffer. See, I'm not a big Michelle Pfeiffer fan. I just for, I okay, forget. Okay, sorry. A lot more
2: importantly. Things. Howard. Rutger Howard,
1: Rudger Howard. Thank you. Uh, I I was blanking on his name. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Lady Lady Hawk is is definitely a very nineteen eighties movie, uh, but a, a good movie. Uh, it, it works very well. Um, I I think the only the weakest part of that movie is probably Matthew Broderick because he, he doesn't really fit in that genre very well.
2: No, no, he does not.
1: He is very much, as an actor, he is very much a fish out of water in that genre. Uh,
2: I'll also throw out in the uh, the Jason out of left field, is it fantasy category? Highlander?
0: I consider that fantasy. Uh, yeah. I'm just, I'm just name dropping now. <clears throat> Honestly, if I consider Big Trouble in Little China fantasy, then yeah, Highlander should be fantasy to me. Fair enough. I mean, I don't, there's just some movies where you don't really know what to call them, and they can fit into a lot of different things. So.
1: All righty.
2: Well, thank you for listening. Uh, what do you think of our picks? Uh, there are some movies you need to go watch uh, with the doc. <laughs> are there are some <laughs> we didn't mention you kept waiting for us to bring up, and you're screaming at us on your uh, um whatever you're listening to this at. Uh, I mean, there's, there's, again, we could do an entire series just on um, fantasy movies from the eighties. There's a ton of them. Um, But I think the, I think, I think we have a good list. I think our list is very representative of what the fantasy genre was before the sea change. That was Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, which we'll get into next episode. Um, So thank you for listening. Let us know what you thought of our list and what we should add to it. Uh, And we will see you next time when we jump into uh, the post-Lord of the Rings fantasy era. Until then, I'm obi John. He's Commander Scott. He's the Doc. This has been (laughs) your weekly nerd alert.